0: Again, people coming in from Zoom directly. We got people coming in from LinkedIn Live. Uh, very incredible. Very good time. Okay, let's go ahead. It is 1138. We are eight minutes past our official start time. And so I figured let's just, let's go ahead. Let's kick it off. I'll keep my little fancy dancy the chat up so we can see um, as more people join the group. Cool. Okay, so... We are going to be talking about go figure quiet quitting, right? That's what the title is. not much of a surprise there. wasn't trying to catch you guys off guard. So uh, the questions that I had about this were about quiet quittings. what what exactly is it, right? I, me coming at this from from a human resilience, you know, perspective and a business culture perspective and and that's kind of that's where I place my focus as a business professional. Um, this was this immediately piqued my interest. It was very fascinating to to learn about this this kind of new thought movement. So I wanted to dive into it and figure out one, what is it? because one of the things that we seem to not do, a perfect job at, which ends up leading to, and I when I say we, I mean people, just humans in general, regardless of where you're from or any further details. If you are of human origin and you are in a dispute with somebody, it's typically because of poor communication. And a lot of the uh, one significant part of this poor communication can be attributed to not having a clearly defined uh, terminology. To not have your
1: terms defined clearly. Um, in this case, I think there's a lot of a lot of issue, um,
0: a lot of. St- a lot of consternation around quiet quitting because everyone, they're hearing this term, they're getting the general gist and then people are assigning their own value system to it in one way, shape or form. So I think if we understand what it is and we understand what it isn't, then we communicate. We can communicate about it more efficiently and more effectively. And we can actually get to a place that is better for all of us. And so, like I said, I wanted to be able to clearly define what is quiet quitting. Uh, I wanted to look at the real impacts of it. And when I was thinking about the impact, I wanted to be holistic um, I, w- I wanted to have a kind of 360 degree perspective on what is quiet quitting. Um, who does it impact today? Um, what does it impact tomorrow? You know, d- How does it impact you and how does it
1: impact them? Is that what I have written, listed there? The them, I'm actually interested to see what you guys think. Uh, what comes to mind i'm going to put this in the chat group what comes to mind when them um so for me when i was writing them it was actually several categories
0: i tried to think of all the thems right and so i was thinking about um from the perspective of the person right you know what's the impact to you what's the impact to you now what's the impact to you tomorrow and what's the impact to to them right so the them can be your organization. It can be your supervisor. It could be your employees. It could be your uh, your team. It could be your spouse or your kids. Um, you know, it could be a lot of people. There's a lot of people that could be impacted by the way. Let's let's rephrase that because it's not good. There are a lot of people who are impacted by the way you choose to operate at work. Now, some people might not like that. <laughs> some people might not like to think about the fact that how they act at work impacts a lot of people's lives. But it's true, if you really sit down and think about it. And so that's, that's one of the things that we're going to take into consideration during this conversation today. So um, going to me just real quick, again, this is not about me. This is not about Um, what I do, I just wanted to let you know what the reason was that I wanted to bring this conversation up and why I feel like I am a decent person to dive into this topic, to give a little bit more um, air to the idea and, um, or a little bit more detail behind the idea and where it came from, how it came to such prominence and what the real impact is. So I work with people and I work with cultures and I do this within the confines if you will of the workplace because I figure if we have 24 hours in a day and let's say somewhere between six and eight of those are spent sleeping or at least groggy uh in the route to sleep and back from so maybe somewhere between six to ten um then you are only left with you know 16, 14 hours left of the day of that, of our waking conscious hours, when, ha, where do you spend the most time? You know, you spent for those employed, um, those working for somebody else, or even those working for themselves, you're going to be spending the majority of your waking hours at the office, at work, you know, conducting business, making money to be able to support your family. So uh, my my whole thought process around this is if we can change the way that you feel about work, if we can change the level of fulfillment that you get from work, regardless regardless of how intrinsic meaning <laughs> comes from your work or not, you know, maybe if you are um maybe if you're a landscape, or landscape artist, I don't have the right word, a landscaper, uh, you know, maybe you don't find as much meaning in that, but you do really enjoy being outside. You really enjoy uh, working with your hands and um, knowing, like feeling the physical demand of your labor. Right. And so there's there are ways to to adjust our perspective of work to make it more fulfilling. And that's one of the things that I like to do. Um, and really why I do this is, is I want to, I want to help organizations, right. And I want to help those organizations by building, showing them how to build resilient cultures. And I, and that's really only done one way. And it's through investing in your most valuable resource. As you can see, it's, it's your people. You have to invest in your people because when you do that, this doesn't always have to be financial. But when you do that, you will reap the rewards. Um, and the thing is, they'll—the rewards will come back to you through them, through the way that they work with your clients, through the way they work with your customers, through the way they treat each other and the type of culture they build, which keeps people there, gives them a sense of belonging, and really drives down that ridiculously high attrition rate that we're seeing right now. Of We, we just hit over 4 million voluntary quits for the month of July. And because these numbers always come out a month delayed. So the July numbers just came out and we just hit 4.1 million, which is the 15th, I believe it's the 15th straight month. So over a year of oh, an excess of 4 million people quitting their jobs every month. It was interesting. I actually saw this article uh, that said, like it's on this downward trend, you know, from the highest recorded number in history of four point five million, um, which is really interesting that there and that was something like five six months ago. So like this trend of going down is, is very tiny, very very itty bitty. It's very, so it's more interesting still if you if you zoom out a little bit and you go back to I think it was November. 2020 when we hit 3.5 million people quit their jobs and everyone's hair was being pulled out um because the, the quits were so high they're like what do we do 3.5 this is insane and now we've been sitting over 4 million for 15 months and there's positive news reports about it being 4.1 now given trends are good if it's moving back down, it's just like gas right now if you're feeling less stressed about the price of gasoline now than than you were when it hit three fifty, three seventy five on the way up. If you're feeling better about it now, it makes sense because it's trending that way. Um, it doesn't doesn't change the pain that it's causing. Same thing with the quits. It doesn't the the fact that it went from four point five million to four point one million doesn't change the pain. It's Still four million people quitting their jobs every month. Oh, that's a lot. So, but that's why I do what I do. It's you know it, I want people. I don't want people to feel like they have to bounce around from job to job, you know, because they aren't appreciated, because they're not getting paid enough, um, that there are ways to accommodate for the best talent by taking on effective strategies from the managerial and the leadership level. So this is how I do that. This is how I coach managers, how I coach senior leaders to do this, to build that resilient culture through investing in their people. It's by enhancing autonomy and empowerment, right? That is the individual level of saying, you are capable of operating on your own in this capacity, go do it, right? And then what happens on the flip side? They go and they crush it, or they don't, (laughs) you know, but like, let's say that you put your faith in accurately, somebody that was highly capable and, and pulled through Well, you want to sustain that. So how do you, how do you, what actions can you take to create a blueprint for success that they can continue to go back to over and over again? Well, you want to show gratitude, right? You want to show effective gratitude. It's not enough to simply say, Hey, you did a great job. I appreciate it thank you so much. I'm really happy you're on the team. Let's go get it. Keep up the great work. That's good. That is, it's better than not saying that it's better than just handing them the next next project. Like, okay, you got that done. Here's this one. Uh, it, it, it is far more efficient. It is far more effective to, to be specific about what it is. So what did they do that you really liked? How did they go about doing it that you really appreciated? Um, there should be concrete examples of of this., um, and it should be done very quickly. And you know, you can't, you can't somebody gets done with a project in March, and now you're like bringing them up on the radar to say, "Hey, we took that person did this really great thing. Like you've lost that. Um, the kind of public awareness of what was going on, if when projects are happening, that team and that department is aware, but oftentimes other departments in your organization are also aware. And so once it's complete and everyone knows like, oh, that little sigh of relief before you kick off on the next big promotion is, is take those people, draw them out and say, this person did great because of this. One, you're, you're creating blueprints for the entire company because you're saying, this is what we like this is what they did. And you can even bring them up publicly, right? To speak in front of the other people and, and to speak in front of the other departments and their own departments and their team and to, to give their perspective on their story and why they believed that they did really well. Two shakes of a lamb's tail. Wonderful. Okay. Just want to make sure we're all still good. Everyone's Everyone's still following along? Great. Okay. And then that finally, that leads into um, communication, right? Because gratitude, effective gratitude, is a piece of effective communication. It's like a, a derivative thereof. So one of the main things critical to building a resilient community, a resilient culture at work, is through communication and establishing clear, firm lines of communication, that what's expected, what's not expected, and, and who is, um, who's responsible for what. And all of this is all every aspect of work. Every aspect of this is all about communication. So the more effectively you're, you're communicating and the more transparent you are showing a little bit of vulnerability from the top, a little bit of openness goes a long way. It it lets people know that they're really on the same page, but this isn't a workshop on those things. I do workshops on those things. And that's why I'm I get a little bit carried away when I talk about this because I think it's so important. And it's also highly relevant for what we're talking about now. So let's take a look at what quiet quitting actually is. Oops, here we go. Bollocks. it <laughs> is. Okay, quiet quitting. So what I did is I combed through, and I'm gonna show you, I actually took out excerpts from a bunch of different News articles, you know, kind of the big ones, CNN Business, Business Insider, New York Times, Fox Business, uh, The Guardian, I think there's there's a lot. And and not only did I do that, but I also got some opinions from senior leaders in the military, from HR professionals and thought leaders uh, in the industry, very, very interesting perspectives, very interesting uh, feedback about this. But what I've, like I said, the first thing and the most important thing is to make sure that we have clear terms. Now you'll see as the theme throughout this is that it's not necessarily clear or some people that ascribe to this aren't don't necessarily follow this as like their prescription or their guideline, and that leads to problems that that we'll see and we'll discuss. so, Quite quitting, so far as I can tell, as derived from all of these resources, um, pulled together in this amalgamation is essentially it's two things, right? It's it's you're running from something, you're getting away from an idea of something, away from a reality, and you're you're running toward your desired life, right? So what are they running away from? They're running away from this idea of the 25, 8. I don't work 24-7. I work 25 hours a day, eight days a week, because that's how dedicated I am. Never stop, never quit this hustle and grind mentality, you know, and this, uh, you know, I'm gonna go above and beyond. I'm gonna show them that I'm a valuable member of this team and and, and I'm gonna do that by by you know, working 16, 18 hours a day. And this is my life. Now this last one, uh, I put active participation as if they're, they're running away. And and this can be a little bit misleading because I don't, I don't, I don't think they're running away from participating in events, you know, it when seen from the best light, when when idealized to the to the best way possible, they would show up to a meeting on time, right? They would they would sit to the meeting and they would listen and they would even take notes. And if they're called upon, they'll even ask and you know. Answer the question and participate, but they're not going to be sitting at home coming up with the next idea that they want to bring up to the meeting that they think is going to be beneficial. You know, they're really checking that stuff at the door in and out when they leave, you know, when they leave work, they're leaving it at work. And then the idea is what they're, what are they running towards? What is their desired future? It is the idea of, you know, going back to. Of Well, establishing that balance, right? Establishing that work-life balance, balancing those skills, and looking at what was the actual agreement
1: that I made when I came to work here. Was it coming in early, staying late, volunteering for every project,
0: you know, What Or what was was it? Oh, no, it's the hours are from, you know, eight to four. And so I'm not coming in at six o'clock anymore. And I'm not staying to six o'clock anymore. I'm, I'm calling it. This is when I'm showing up. This is when I'm going and because and I'm doing this in pursuit of more energy, more focus at home in my personal life, in my physical health, you know, and, and these things that really matter to me It has not been receiving enough attention. So let's be let me be honest <laughs> when i first heard about this my knee-jerk reaction was not positive i i, I, I want to be completely transparent like we talked about communication is key i think it's crucial i think transparent communication is very important for developing relationship with your employees so i want i want to make sure that i'm communicating transparently so when i started this project and that it's not to say this is where i'm at now but when i started this project I was not on the pro side. <laughs> I was very much on the "this is not real." Uh, but they're out there to gain attention, and and really, it's just a justification for being lazy and your poor performance. Now you, now you have uh, this high-minded ideological view that justifies you not being good at your job or not trying hard. That was my knee-jerk reaction. And when I say it's not real, I mean that. It's not a real movement. Like this isn't a real thing. There's a couple of people made a video on TikTok. Other people really bought into it, you know, in the face of the Great Resignation. But it's not really a thing that's that's impacting organizations widespread across the world. And it's something that also that's been going on for a very long time. I've worked with people like this throughout my whole life. I remember one time I was working at a restaurant in Omaha, Nebraska, where I was born and raised, and I saw I was I was working with a, this guy that. Ended up being like a really good friend of mine while we were there. CJ. CJ's his name. And (laughs) I I I liked I like CJ a lot. Uh he was very independent. Uh showed up to work to to do the work. And that was it. Did not care. You know, and I remember uh, you know, he didn't care much about the details. Like, I'm gonna get it done, I'm gonna cook the food, I'll get it out there, I'll run the food out to tables. You know, don't expect me to be like jumping over and and like really hustling like I'm here and the work will get done kind of a thing which is it's an interesting take in the restaurant world because everything is so high pace and 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 just you're constantly moving and hustling uh and so I remember one day we had closed down cleaned the kitchen and and CJ and I went out to the floor to like the dining area and we needed to you know wipe down all the tables and get wipe down all the chairs and put the chairs flip them up onto the table so that way we could you know, vacuum and clean the rest of the place. And so there was, I remember when I showed up, this mind you, this is my very first job. (laughs) So, uh, I was probably 16 at the time. I think I started when I was 15. Um, and then, and then I had worked there for probably about like two years, three years, something like that. Uh, and this is my first real, like, I'm going in clocking in job, uh, in my life. And, so when I was told this is how we do things, to me, it was like, that's concrete. Like there's no variation. Like this is the expectation. This is what you have to do in order to meet the expectations. This follow through with what they said to do. So there was a certain way uh, that we were supposed to set the chairs up and CJ wasn't doing it that way. And I said, oh, hey, hey, man, like we got to put the chairs like this. He's like, I don't care. <laughs> I remember I can only imagine the look on my face. It was probably just pure shock. Like, what do you, what do you mean you don't care? How could you not care? This is the way it's supposed to be. Uh, it's very interesting because when I think about it now, it's uh, you know why? What impact does that have? If the chairs were getting picked up off the off the table or off the floor and put up onto the table so that we could clean it and everything, I cleaned, you know, then it doesn't matter because the end state is met, right? It's that autonomy that I was talking about earlier that, that I flew right over my head. And I just,
1: I couldn't imagine. And I, and I remember thinking specifically that you cannot train that into somebody in a job. You know, if, if they're
0: there and they do not care about the outcome, or if they don't care about the process, then then they're not gonna care. It's gonna, it's gonna be very difficult there. I remember having that thought. Now I understand that not to be true. That there's very much ways that you can influence that. But it was a it was a revelatory moment for me and kind of a there was a life before that moment and a life after that moment. You know, it didn't impact the way that I still always done the day I quit. I always put tears up the way I was told I think it's just part of my personality. So anyway. Um yeah, like I said, I you know I didn't give you guys these awesome pictures. <laughs> this, is, this is the idea that I had of people that were uh, that were quietly quitting was um, you know this kind of bumish laziness <laughs> that was going on. But uh, anyway, I wanted to get into you know where did this whole thing start and how did it progress and, and how did it enter into my sphere and most people's uh, concept and, and reality? Well. Go figure, uh, with any late grading most powerful movement of all time, it emanated and originated with TikTok. <laughs> so that's, that's that's the truth. There were two guys, uh, I had their names written down, Faid Khan, I think was one, and uh, it was somewhere. My computer, screen, computer screen's taken up, so I can't see it right now. But essentially, um, these two guys made different videos right around the same time about quiet quitting and quick little, little videos on TikTok. They ended up going viral, I believe. Um, other videos got made of them and then they got brought into, like, it was identified as this kind of movement, this thing that was happening by these business news organizations, the CNN that you see on the screen, CNN, business, business insider, Fox business, New York times. This is where I extracted the data from for this, um, this show and this presentation is from those specific places. And I put LinkedIn on there because it was almost, that was like the next phase is after the news organizations got it, then it, then they, you know, it got farmed out naturally by, by users who were reading those. So I saw it on LinkedIn by somebody that had shared the business insider story. And I was like, that's really, this is really interesting. Let me look into it. So that was just the way I kind of had to it out, you know, TikTok news organizations, and social media. That's kind of how it came from not having a name, but everyone knowing that people like this existed to being a movement. Um, so if we start off with Business Insider, like I said, this is where I started. So this is where I wanted us to start. If we look at uh, the the what, the story that they focused on, what they decided to do is follow this, this woman. Her name is Maggie Perkins. And she is this... Um, Supposed thought leader of quiet quitting because she was quietly quitting well before the term quietly quitting came out. Actually, you can see here, she was quitting quietly back in 2018, which is obviously it's 2022. So she definitely beat, you know, beat the punch, but she did not, um, she didn't have that term for it, but she does have an interesting story. So she was a teacher and She ended up um, running into a bunch of problems when it came to how much money she was spending on having to spend out of her own pocket, where she wasn't earning that much. Happy and willing to acknowledge teachers don't make that much money. And I think that she was teaching in Georgia. So also, additionally, that's not a very high uh, cost of living. State and so the state-funded teachers, you know, are not going to your state-paid
1: teachers are not going to be making that much money because the state doesn't pull in that much. Now, she was a teacher for about three
0: years leading up to twenty-eight. If I if I interpreted this correctly, because I think it said that she quit uh, being a teacher after five years, but in twenty eighteen is when she quietly quit because. She was spending all this money. She was getting harassed by all the parents. Um, Who knows about what? They didn't really go into detail about that in the article. And, And you can see, if you want to look it up in the article, it was written on August
1: 23rd by Jacobs and Kula. And so check it out, Business Insider. So here's the deal she's getting harassed by the parents, right? She's she's coming in early. She's staying late. Like she's grading
0: papers. She's spending her own money on this stuff and she's freaking out, right? She's getting terrible migraines and she is not loving life. And then she just decides one day, who knows, she doesn't tell how this idea came to her mind, but she's like, I'm just going to go back to what I agreed to do because this is not sustainable. Like I'm, I'm kind of a wreck right now and I'd like not to be a wreck. So let's, what am I actually required to do? Um, Because like I said, this is not sustainable. So she looked at the agreement and she's like, oh, well, I'm supposed to report, you know, at eight, state of four, something like that. And, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to adopt some strategies that I think are going to be beneficial for me and the students. This was her thought. And so I'm going to list out her strategies, her strategies and, and her methods to reduce the amount of time she was spending on on her work outside of work. And you tell me what you think. Okay. For one of the first things she did was she, she adopted different um, assignments uh, by category, by type that could be automatically graded. She, she you know, found these ways to use automatic grading systems. Again, it doesn't really go into detail You know, if she was doing Scantron or, or what she was doing, but for what she could, she adopted those automated grading systems. Now, you can tell me what you think. You know, do you think that this was good, bad? Is it, you know, are there pros and cons? Like, I, I'm sure that there's some cons out there. I can't. I couldn't really think of them. I thought this is a great thing. Like, why not? And the more you can automate this, there this should be a revision. Uh, potentially is the only thing I see is that sometimes the automated systems get stuff wrong. but And then it doesn't apply. And we'll get into this. It doesn't apply to everything, right? You can't do everything through automated systems. And so you'll see what she decided to do in the face of that. Uh, so I said that this was good, right? Um, by and large, I have no problem with this. So the next thing she decided to do was stop grading assignments. Yes, I paused for dramatic effects because, what? <laughs> she did what? Yeah, no. And I said, I'm not being hyperbolic. I'm not um, reading out of the lines here. I'm not interpreting anything. Now, she didn't. it's not that she didn't stop grading all assignments, but she did decide to stop grading some assignments. She's just like, oh. Some of the students' grades, some of the students' work is not going to be graded. So what do you think? (laughs) Yeah, you can tell my reaction what I think. Oh, that's a red check. Sorry, Um, that's a no-go. If my kids are going to school and they're doing the work, I would like for them to know if they got something right or wrong. Could you imagine turning in a math assignment, doing the work, turning it in, and never finding out what you got right or wrong? Could you imagine that for an entire year? And then you leave that teacher and you go to the next grade and you're like, oh, you you actually grade these? That's really weird. Like, I don't know. I could be terrible at math. I guess she was probably still grading tests. But how much of a disservice is that to the student if they're doing these assignments and then they're getting ready for a test and they're like, I did a bunch of the work and I was never told it was wrong. So... I don't know, doesn't seem like a real win to me. So that to me, that was, uh, that was no bueno.
1: Now, the
0: last one she did was stop reading papers. <laughs> Again, now this one is not as clear. It's not, she didn't just like, I'm not reading these. Good luck. She didn't read them, but what she did was that she adopted this this highlight system. So she would assign a paper there be the rubric, right? You have to hit the points in the rubric in order for you to get your top score possible. She would tell the students to highlight the portions of their paper that align with the rubric. So that way she could just go through, see that part, like, okay, this is what they did for this part of the rubric, but three out of five points, you know, four to four points, so on and so forth, all the way through to the end, which, okay, um, it's interesting. I remember rubrics uh where in specifically for writing papers where they would have in there like kind of like the totality of the paper it's almost like the flow um how were your transitions did you have good um like a strong introduction paragraph did you did you conclude it uh effectively you know how how did you transition from idea to idea how were your segues kind of a thing and so if you're not like then you would just highlight the whole paper. <laughs> and so I just, I don't understand. And again, I think about this long-term. If somebody was in her class for an entire year and this is the way that they were graded and they move on to the next grade, it's, they're, just, they're not being set up for success in the way that you expect them to be from a teacher, right? Whose job it is to evaluate the, their their papers, they're writing their grades and all of that. So this one. I didn't give her a full-on red check. I went, I went middle ground because she's still grading portions of it. You're still having to do the work, look at the rubric, understand what you have to do, and then write about it. You know, she's still evaluating it, but she's missing out some important pieces that are going to affect people, especially as they proceed and go to uh, higher education. So, what happens next after? Uh, 2020. After quiet, quietly quitting, what was um, what was Maggie Perkins' situation? Did was she able to sustain this all the way now to present to 2020 or 2022? Excuse me. No, <laughs> the answer. She ended up quitting. She quit. Quit. She real quit. latently quit. Uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, physically quit because. It was still too much. She, the, even with her quietly quitting, it was not effective for her. so. So she, before quitting her job and realizing that she couldn't cut it in the field anymore, she wanted to... Now, she said this made her a better teacher. That it, it optimized her time management skills, something to that effect. Yeah, it, it might have been good for you as... As a teacher, but not good for you as the teacher of those kids. You know, like this is an extremely to me, this was not the first story that that I could have read that would have really shifted my opinion on this. Because I just I'm honestly I'm disgusted. I'm disgusted that she spent a year and a half, probably two full school years ruining kids education by not putting them first and putting herself first and, and doing them truly a disservice by not grading their homework and not reading their papers. Like that's your job. I guarantee you that's in the job description. I guarantee you that you were not, see, this is the problem again with defining terms or not defining terms is that she's, she's globbed onto, and now she even promotes guidance for people who want to quietly quit. Like, well, honey, sorry, uh, you didn't quietly quit. Like you, <laughs> you chose a different route. You went subpar, because there's no way that in your contract it says, grade as many papers as you can, you know? Don't worry about grading all the assignments. You know what? You don't even have to read all the papers. I, I, I don't believe it, you know? Like it might say that you have work hours that are between eight and four, um, and you're not required to work outside of that, and that's and that's a whole other thing. Okay, do that, you know. But within that, you better find the time to get that stuff done. Then, and if you can't, then that's a conversation that needs to happen. That goes back to effective communication, um, which is again that's that's going to be a theme here. It's there's a there's a lack of connection, a lack of continuity, a lack of communicating between parties that is really driving the negative parts of quiet quitting, in my estimation. But we'll get more into that in a little bit later. Let's move on to the next example. Well, the last thought that I had about this actually was, what would happen if everybody, if every teacher did this? If every teacher stopped grading paper, stopped grading assignments and stopped reading papers and you know, like what would the effect be? And I actually came up with a couple of answers. We'll, we'll, we'll dive into that. Um, in the end when I kind of come up with a with a total summary. But yeah, it's it, that, that was what I was left thinking as I was wrapping up reading this article. Now I'll go through the next ones pretty quickly because we've kind of got a good idea of what quietly quitting is. But this just shows the prominence of how it hit the media. Um, CNN business, bosses don't need to freak out about quiet quitting. You know, Obviously, you can see the tone they're taking. Quiet quitting is good. Bosses are freaking out because bosses are bad. Uh, they go with this very high-minded, like, I, I wish that I had the whole thing here. I broke it down into bullets. This They had this whole comment about this post-industrial Western capitalism era of relative generational privilege that promoted this cultural messaging about work that said each human is special, um, and that this generation that experienced this message of but each individual human is special and can be be or do anything they want as long as they work and never stop following their dreams is tired. That was the idea. It's like those people who who were taught this belief, they're now tired. I'm like, okay, um, we've never had it easier in the world than we have it now. Again, this is these are my knee-jerk reactions to these articles, right? There's a reason that I didn't, shoot this video. There's a reason I didn't host this, this event until a week after these is because I've had evolutions of thought. I've had, I've allowed myself to have that knee-jerk reaction, give myself space to think about it, to process it, and then to formulate something that, that I think actually makes sense. Um, and doesn't, isn't just rooted in how I was raised and, and how I've learned to operate and be successful in the world. Uh, but so that's what, that's what CNN business says is that this generation's tired and they're tired because of this concept that, you know, you have to work and never stop following your dreams. I, have a, I still have a hard time with this one. But anyway, uh, New York Times. This one is actually really interesting. Um, they say, who is quiet quitting for? And they, they give two examples of two different people, right? So there's this one, there are two girls, two women, and they're both in their 20s. Gabrielle uh, is one and Alex is another, right? Gabrielle's in Colorado. I don't remember where Alex is from, but Gabrielle is in a customer success, I think for a tech company out in Denver. Uh, She says, you know, she's all about balance and that, but it's not always about you. And that frequently you're on a team, but she does say, you know, when you're not on a team and you're doing your own thing, like do your own thing. But when you're not,
1: it's, it's important for you to consider the way that your actions impact others. So it was interesting. Um, I, I don't think it, the impact ends with the team.
0: I think you have to consider who's, who's cutting the check, right, for that person. And, and, and then when that person person cashes that check who's who's receiving the benefits of that right the person their family their kids there's a lot of like we talked about in the beginning are, there are a lot of people that are involved in these decisions and i think that before you decide something like like this that can impact you and impact others you should really you know take a moment and think about it so Gabrielle, for for being she, the, I, there was a, a statement that she had made that was very indicative of that of a twenty five year old. Very, um, I think the statement about balance was uh, something to the effect of, "If we're on a team, then we have to work together on a team. But if we're not, then everyone can just do whatever." <laughs> I remember thinking I was like, "That's that's a perfect that's a perfect twenty five year old statement." But in its sentiment, is not inaccurate. So I, I'm not mad at her. Alex, on the other hand, had a very different perspective, very different story. Alex was a material, ha- is currently in her fourth or fifth month as a material handler in a book warehouse. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. She stocks shelves or they make books or they put, I don't know. I don't know what that means. All I know is that The the key thing that they wanted to point out from there was that she now works eight-hour shifts, five days a week. She doesn't feel stressed. She doesn't bring work home with her. Nothing about work follows her home. This is really important because she came from, as you can see here, she came from being a a, a kitchen manager and never said she was a chef, but it seemed like she was kind of running the kitchen. It was a little ambiguous. That said, she felt a lot of the pressure. She was getting um, almost like she said, like spotty vision, I think, and like kind of dizzy spells. And a lot of it was stress induced. And it was because there were employees there within her, you know, under her managerial responsibilities that would call in sick and leave her holding the bag. And, you know, she said that, you know, she was let down by these people and that's, <laughs> It's really interesting. I thought this was kind of uh, kind of is wouldn't this be an example of of them quietly quitting? You know, like if they're if they're calling in sick last minute, you know, but it's within the confines of the contract where they can call in and it's not it doesn't violate the policies, then she's she was the reason she was stressed out. One of the reasons she was stressed out was because people were quietly quitting around her. Uh, so what she decided to do is join the group. Now that said, Very people could have been no call, no showing. Um, and they could have been calling in last minute, which if that's the case, it's usually not in, um, in concert with policies set up by businesses that have thought about this. And most restaurants have thought about this because it's one of the first things you deal with and one of the most frustrating. So she left and started doing this. And now, um, now she says that she feels validated that the world has finally caught up with her because she figured this out a long time ago and uh, and she's, she's uh, vindicated in her decision and in, in her thought process. Um, Fox News, Fox Business, not Fox News, Fox Business. Um, this one was interesting because all the other ones were giving examples of what
1: quiet quitting is. Here are people that have done it. This is the benefits they received. What Fox what Business did was, and you can see in the title,
0: with workplaces, quiet quitting trend, managers must be proactive and attentive. Now, so they're not even disparaging this. They're not saying quiet quitting is bad, but they do, they do list some of the negatives, which impacts bottom line, impacts morale of the organization. But they give... Because of these things, because of the obviously what you would anticipate, if people stop working as hard, there are going to be effects in the business. Those effects are obvious. So they give indicators such as decreased engagement, top performance taking a back seat on projects as they come up, uh, and reduced interest in performance reviews and career progression, right? These are very obvious indicators, but you see them and you, then you might be able to say to yourself like, oh, this person might be quietly quitting, but (laughs) the term doesn't even matter. It's just, these are indicators of changes in behavior that someone's acting differently. And so as a, as a good leader, you should be reaching out to look down, to sit down and communicate with them. Again, communication is critical. You want to build a resilient culture in your organization. You have to build resilient people. You want to build resilient people, build resiliency in people, then you need to, you need to know your people. Um, and you're not going to be able to identify these if you don't know your people. So, and these are very obvious things. So then they give strategies, which is inspire employees. And they do a good job of explaining what that means. They just say they need to create a robust environment to inspire their employees. Like that's that's great, Fox Business. Very detailed stuff. And then they dive into effective recognition, the stuff that I actually teach, which was great. They They actually hit... The four main, most uh, important attributes of what makes recognition effective, which was incredible. So, kudos, hats off. I thought that was really cool. So that was I, that was a great one that I read. That was just it was in a different vein than the other ones. So, looking at um, what to make of quiet quitting, right? If we if we go back
1: and we think about um, Maggie Perkins, right? Kind of where we started off with all the articles. What would happen
0: if if all the teachers quit, right? I, I, I spent some time. I actually really did spend some time thinking about this. And I thought, if all the teachers did this,
1: the kids would really get the short end of the stick. But, but, and it's not to usually um, semantically
0: when someone says, but everything before that gets erased. And the only thing that exists is what happens after that. But so don't do that. <laughs> the kids are getting shafted. And, and if every teacher did this, it would be, it wouldn't be quite quitting. It would be quite striking, right? Because when you take it in from a one-person action and, and you shift it into a organization-wide tactic or or event or movement and it and it's in defiance of current expectations or looking to renegotiate the standards that that's that's a strike you know you're saying I'm not going to do these things unless these things happen um and it might not you know the renegotiation might will need to occur right? You can't just say, I'm not going to do this stuff. And the kids are just going to keep getting, you know, the short end of the stick. Maybe it's, we've really shortened the kid's school day. Like we put, there's so many impacts to this that it's so complicated. Cause you can't just say, we well, I, in an ideal world, it would be great if kids could go to school for three, four hours. They, they've received the instruction they need. And then for the last Maybe they stay there for another three hours. And because that way you don't run into this daycare situation, this extra expense. Because that's what schools turn into. In addition, is like parents go to work and then their kids are at school. But if their kids only went to school for three hours just to get the the pure like, hey, we're teaching you this to the lesson block next class. Hey, we're teaching you this is the lesson block next class. Hey, look, we're done. You know, get out of here. Um, And now with that, the teachers will have time to grade the stuff from yesterday. If they were, if they're scheduled to work from eight to four and they teach kids from eight to noon, they have from 12 to four to catch up on their stuff. You know, how much time of the day do you really need to spend teaching the kids actively like that? And so you can shift it. Um, That is a way. Now, I'm not a teacher. I've never been a teacher. And so that might not work at all. (laughs) But the the point is, those conversations can happen through a quiet strike that turns audible because there's no way that that strike stays quiet. But the point is that you're not saying I'm not going to work. I just we need to redefine the terms. And and if everyone refuses to to go beyond, then there's going to have to be answers for that. So it might be a new evolution in the way that we strike which would be interesting, you know? And, and it very well could turn into the same old thing that in response where it's like, okay, well, if you guys are not going to do it, I'm going to hire people that will because there are people out there that want the jobs. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. It's only one way to find out. But all of this, all of that only happens. We only get to that point when a person is quite, quit. like one person quite quitting isn't the sign that your culture's bad. Right? It might be a sign that person's not a good fit for the job. If you have two people quiet quitting in the same department on the same team, there might be a leadership problem. There might be a designation of responsibilities problem. If you have a bunch of people quiet quitting in your organization, then you've got to look at the culture. you got to look at what you're creating. And then, then you have to look at the individuals in charge of that culture, which are your mid-level leaders, those managers, those supervisors, those team leaders. What are they doing? Are they paying attention? Are they counseling their people? Are they coaching? Are they are they doing the things that we know impact the level of fulfillment at work? Are they are they giving their people autonomy? Are they empowering them to complete tasks on their own? Are they congratulating them? Are they are they praising them in front of the people like, like we talked about? Is it are they praising them you know, effectively? Are they doing it? You know, in, the, in an appropriate amount of time in response to the event itself? Are they being specific? Is it tied to something concrete? Are they doing it publicly in the open for everyone to see that they're getting these plaudits and these accolades? Are we, and then, really, all of these things then boil back down to communication right? Am I communicating what my expectations of you while you're working autonomy? Or have I communicated that clearly? You don't have to work eight hours a day as long as X, Y, and Z gets done. If I need you to call 50 people, or if I need you to make three sales a day, I don't care how many people you call. I, you know, If you call three people and they all three bought, and that was the expectation, great. If you
1: feel like going above and beyond,
0: get it. If not, it's whatever, but you have from 8 a.m. until complete to get three sales. Go get it. Then that way you're giving them the autonomy. You're giving them the empowerment, you know? And, and if there is a problem that, that comes up with it, you open the door, you let them know like, hey, listen, three o'clock comes around. You haven't made a sale yet. Like give me a call and maybe we'll do some on-the-spot training and we'll, you know, walk me through as if you're calling me and trying to make a sale and let's let's do a little coaching. And see what's going on. Um, and then having systems to track like, okay, how many phone calls did you make? Is that is there is there a way to actually verify <laughs> that so that you can, you know, not become victim of somebody who might not be putting in the effort, you know, to earn that autonomy. Cause again, to me, that's not quiet quitting. Quiet quitting isn't I'm not gonna make the phone calls to make the sales. It's I'm not, I didn't get my three sales. And so I'm going to keep calling until 10 p.m. tonight? No, no. Let's let's retrain. Let's refocus. Let's figure out what's going on because any good sales team has a method. And if there are other people making sales, there are means that the the people who aren't making sales can do it. And they're just there is something in the system that's not working properly. They're not calling the right people at the right time of day. They're not saying the right things. You know, they're whatever. There's something there that can be fixed, and so. But you have to know that, so you have to communicate. They have to know that they can communicate with you too, them being the employee, you being the supervisor, team leader, etc. But that's really, to me, that's what it comes down to, is, uh, is really focusing on the people, focusing on building resilience in your people who will then create your resilient culture for your organization. The better you treat your people, the better they'll treat your clients, and the better your bottom line will be. And, the, and really, the, the the higher the retention is and the happier people will be to come to work, the more they'll feel that sense of belonging. Because for me, this really comes down to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? The first two used to be enough for, for humans and their relationship with work, It was, I'm going to work, um, one, because I have the safety of, not the safety, but the, the physiological needs met, right? I have food, water, shelter. These things are taken care of. But a lot of times they're taken care of because of that job, right? So it's kind of circular. I got a job. I'm getting the money. That gives me the ability to ensure that I always have food, water, and shelter here with me. Sweet. The job takes care of that. Job also takes care of number two, security, that you know, um, I'm able to rent a place in a neighborhood that isn't isn't complete garbage. I'm able to have the security of employment to know that I am secure in my my ability to take care of the first step, right? So those safety and security is step two, the physiological needs in step one, those are those were what were historically accepted and, and demanded of by individuals. And really what was just understood. You know, there was no need for a conversation about it. But that's, we all knew that that's what you needed. But we've entered into a new phase, into a new era. And that is one of the next level and next levels of Maslow's hierarchy. The very next level is looking at a sense of belonging. And so that's where you need to focus. If you have not created, if you've not gone out of your way as an organization to adopt practices that endorse a sense of belonging, that encourage a sense of belonging, that you are together, you're in this together, then you're doing it wrong. And honestly, that's you are one of thousands of organizations that are doing it wrong and that could be doing it better if you adopted. That new strategy, that new approach. And that's exactly what I do. that's exactly uh, you know, I, I go to businesses and I speak with them, you know on their lunch outs uh, or on their luncheons. And you know, I, I provide keynote speeches, I do workshops, these, these and I do it all around these concepts, these ideas of how what strategies these organizations can take in order to to accomplish that, to change that perspective and to, and to Create an environment that is more conducive for individual fulfillment, even in jobs that aren't intrinsically fulfilling. So that's because that can be hard. Sometimes jobs just aren't aren't that way. But that sense of belonging, getting to that next level, that's really what can, that's what ties in that sense of fulfillment. If you feel like you belong, there can be meaning with that through that community, through that culture. So please connect with me, you know, if, if you feel like this is great for you and your organization or your team, I'd love to talk with you guys. Um, feel free to contact me directly. Uh, my email address is here. Um, and so is my website where you can book a time to do a video chat with me and we can go into a little bit more detail about you and your business and your organization. I'd love, I'd love the opportunity to learn more about you guys and what it is that you have going on. Um, real quickly, we're going to stop the share and check the chat, see how we're doing.
1: See if there are any questions. If I can get it going here. There we go, okay, okay, okay. All right, all right, all right. That's great,
0: that's great, wonderful. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much, I appreciate it. Uh, if you have any questions that you didn't feel like you wanted to share with the group right now, like again, reach out to me directly, my email's there. Uh, my website's there. I'd love to talk with you guys and I'd love to learn more. Thank you so much for coming out. And I can't wait to see you all here again for the next time we do one of these workshops. Have a great day. And I look forward to seeing you.